Well, a lot of you know that I and my family, we just recently bought a place here in town. We bought a house, and uh, it's been really great. We love our house. But when I get home, there is a mile-long list of things that I need to get done. So anytime I'm at home, that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. I've always got something more I could be working on. Uh, that's just kind of the way it is. But I realized my spiritual barometer, it's helped me to realize this, that my spiritual barometer kind of goes up and down depending on, for example, in the morning, how long my to-do list is, or maybe how I'm treated that afternoon. It kind of goes up and down. Or maybe how my bank account is doing at night. My spiritual barometer goes up and down. Uh, there are some people who look and seem deeply peaceful at all times. And if it is true, if they are actually true and peaceful, they are people who have this contentment in their soul that isn't based on their circumstances. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It rests instead on the unshakable faithfulness of God, like what we just sang, that, that we have this peace. And I think we want to have that. We don't always feel it. And the difference between feeling kind of tossed around or having a certain peace in all circumstances isn't about how much stuff we have going on in our lives. It isn't about how many troubles we have in the moment. But it's, it's going to come down to a certain degree of training our souls in big and small challenges to, to wean ourselves from worrying and, and being anxious in circumstances or even about getting our way and instead moving forward and trusting in God. So we're going to want to, as we go into the holiday season, not to wallow in our worries. We don't want to nurse grudges. We don't want to be driven by other people's expectations. What we want is we want to welcome God's calm, even in stressful times. And Psalm 131 gives a picture of that calm. Somebody who's navigating through stressful times, in a world, the very world that you and I live in, but doing it with less anxiety. That's what I want. Let's do that. Let, let's read this psalm and then we can pray. The, in ESV, this is Psalm 131. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That's the whole psalm. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask you to help us, to train, train us so that our souls may be people who that our souls may, may cling to you, that we may be people who are restful in you, that the barometer, our spiritual barometer doesn't go up and down by our circumstances, but that we are faithfully resting in you. Help us to do that. Speak truth to us about us and about yourself as we hear your word. Make, make your word echo in our ears throughout the week that we can think about this throughout the week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Yesterday, my, my wife went and had a tea party with my aunts and some cousins. There's been a traditional hangout after Thanksgiving for a long time since 
she and my mom started that many years ago. And among the people who were there was my Aunt Julie. My Aunt Julie is, uh, she's an amateur seamstress. She does it for fun, but also sells her things on Etsy, I think. But, so she's, she's really good. She specializes in costumes. If you're looking for a terrific Halloween costume for next year, she's the lady. She makes a lot of amazing creations and really creative stuff. And the process, I am told, involves taking a raw bolt of fabric, and she uses a pattern and then cuts the pieces to that pattern and then sews them together doing all of her magic, whatever her magic she does. So like a master seamstress, you and I, or God, is going to be working in us. He's going to give us this path for dealing with our stresses by acting like a seamstress. He's going to give us a pattern, and we're going to use the scissors to cut to it. So we're going to use the pattern and use the scissors. So the first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to follow the pattern. So when you're sewing, you use a pattern. It's a, it gives a guide for how you're supposed to cut all the different pieces of fabric. It doesn't look like a shirt when you cut it. It looks like something else, and then you put it together. So you use that to construct your item. You get the layout, you get the cutting lines for where you should follow and help you to align the fabric correctly. Verse 2 in the psalm that we just read, I think that that is the pattern. It, it provides the lines that we need to cut to, and it's going to help us align ourselves to assemble our spirituality correctly. It says this, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I'm, I'm kind of surprised by this image. Uh, I would have expected David to say something like, I'm as calm as a baby in its mother's arms. Warm, well-fed, calm, hmm, that nice snuggly feeling, right? Uh, that kind of baby is warm and content and I, I think that that's an image that I would have expected, but David says, like a weaned child. A child is considered weaned when that transition is made from being fed milk to now moving into their adult diet. It's a transition where there's a, there's a gap, and the child begins to recognize that there's a difference between what we want and what we get. When a child is weaned, there's, there's ability to handle a difference, uh, or to wait a little bit, to put off expectations, to prepare for something that's maybe not even what they want. And after, I think that there's a struggle to get to that place of maturity. And for us, for us to reach to a place where we desire God for God's own self, instead of just for what we want, that's going to be part of our process of moving toward maturity. Not just wanting God because he fulfills our wishes, but moving on to something more. I saw this kind of calm, the calm of a weaned child at some, some years back in my younger son. His, uh, his name's Nathan. He was about four and a half at the time. Uh, it was in the evening around dinner time, six o'clock. And he had had a long day at school, and I think his tummy was probably getting a little bit hungry. But right before that, um, we, were going to, uh, we were going to leave. We, were, we, had, we had headed out, and I needed to take him to Target. And I don't know exactly why we were there, but we had to be there, and I hadn't had time to feed him something. But he was hungry. And I, in the store, I had the impression that he wanted 
need to buy him something. I don't remember. He was probably begging for it or whatever. Um, but um, we were, as we were headed to the, the checkout, he realized that I wasn't going to be buying him anything. And he reacted the way that a four-and-a-half-year-old would in those circumstances when you're not bought the thing that you want. There was some crying. There was some begging. But what happened next was the thing that actually ended up catching my attention because at some point, he calmed down. He came to a point where he stopped and he put his head on my shoulder and he was still. He sat with me. And there are a couple different ways that a child gets quiet in, that, in those circumstances. Either you give in to them and you give them the thing that they want or you, they are content with your presence in that moment. I think we're, I'm always tempted to buy the thing. <laughs> but he didn't get what he wanted. He wasn't very pleased, but he did welcome my embrace. And, and I wonder if that moment is helpful for us when we think about as we face stressful situations ourselves. It's, it's a deep and wonderful but terrible truth that, that we begin on this road to spiritual maturity the moment we don't get what we want, but we are content with God's embrace. I think I could tell you about places of pain in my life that, where God didn't give me what I had even begged for, what I had asked for, and I think you probably could too. And in those moments, we can rage, we can cry, uh, but the beginning of maturity is when I choose to calm and still myself in God's presence, in his embrace, in his loving attention for me as his child. And in that moment, the pain hasn't gone away. The hurt of our loss is still there. You can still feel it. But we have stilled our soul within us because, because we trust him, with him. And there may not be a satisfying explanation for why we didn't get what we want. There's not an aha of understanding. There's only God's embrace, and that's all we've got. I think we can be helpful to each other as a church. We can demonstrate God's embrace. We can help hold each other in moments of difficulty and kind of point in times of adversity. Uh, but ultimately, it does come down to, can we trust God ourselves? Well, we have to know, life has not been easy for the psalmist David. He has been chased and kicked out. He's spent time in the desert. He has, he's had to run away from, from actual danger a lot. But he has experienced God's hope alongside life's cruelties. And I hope that that is your experience as well. And that connection with God calms his anxiety. It gives him some courage as well. And that's the pattern that we need to cut our souls to. But it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen by hanging out. As much as we want it to just happen, it doesn't. It says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. There's a, there's a decision that's there. There's an intentionality on the part of David here. And it seems like there's some work that has been done. The question is, do, do, we, do we take the chance to do that work? Say, God, I, I'm not getting what I want, but I want to trust you. Well, how are we going to do that? We're going we're to purposely cut to this pattern. We're going to use the scissors. I'm going to call the next two points the scissors, because with scissors you see an image of humility in verse 1, and there's going to be an image of worship in verse 3 that kind of cut that verse 2 right in the middle. Humility goes down, right? 
and worship lifts up. And I, I had the image in my mind of a scissor, scissors that are coming together, and they're going to cut us, cut our souls to the pattern of trusting in God. There's one side going down, one side coming up. All right, we'll start with verse 1. So it says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So in the beginning of the psalm, uh, David, he turns to God. He talks directly to God. God, hey, Lord, my heart isn't lifted up. I'm talking to you. And he's saying, hey, I want to get out of the pride game. I don't want to worry about that anymore. And he says, I have my identity and my energy in the right place. If we're going to be able to still and quiet our souls, we're going to need to be able to go down in humility like this. And it's going to center around a few areas. It needs to center around our identity. In the first line, he talks about his heart not being lifted up. In, in Bible thinking, in that time, in that culture, the heart is the seat of the self. So it's not just our emotions, but really it's, it's an idea of our identity. It's, it's something more than just emotions. It's our true identity. So if his heart is not lifted up, he's, trying to, he's saying, I'm not trying to make myself more than I am. I'm, I'm not trying to make myself more than what you have made me to be, God. And that's why if you have the NIV in front of you, it translates this simply as, my heart is not proud. I think that's a great translation for that. There's a right amount of self-esteem that we need to have. Right? We need to know that we are made in God's image. God loves us, that we have God-given worth. But the truth is, sometimes we can make ourselves a little too much the center ring of the show. That's what happens at my, in my car when I'm by myself anyway. So how's that? The, all the people who are in my car when I'm driving by myself. Yeah. So one of the big stresses that we can have in our lives is worrying about what other people think about us. We want to be perceived in a certain way. And we can run around frantically worrying about trying to please other people or wanting them to see us in a certain light. And the cure for that is to humbly accept our identity in Christ, not trying to lift ourselves up. True humility isn't lifting ourselves up. It's, it's letting God do that. So we have our feet set on the ground. We have our feet set in this identity that God has given to us, planted in Christ. We're people who are deeply loved by God. But we have been diagnosed with a sinful heart. So it's just prideful. It's kind of silly, actually, for us to defend ourselves too much if somebody finds fault in us. It happens. It's there. So real discipleship moves toward recognizing our limitations. We have recognizing that we have twisted motivations, recognizing that we do have a spotty record. A symptom of beginning to have our identity in the right place is when we handle critique well. We have the courage to face the inner darkness. And if we do that, then we'll see, hey, our identity is fully grounded in Christ. And it makes us a bit more humble. It also, for us to have it, we need to have our desires on the right things. For us to be humble, we need to have our desires on the right things. Just like the heart in biblical language, the eye is a a metaphorical idea of biblical writers of the time. Uh, The eye is the the seat of our ambition or our desires. So if we're going to be humble, we need to be people who have our eyes, have our desires set 
on the right things. So if our eyes are raised too high, it means that we're sick with overambition or wanting to be seen and be above other people, desiring what they have. In the NIV, it translates it as, my eyes are not haughty. I'm not looking down on other people. In Matthew 6, actually, Jesus gets at this. He says there's a direct connection between where our eyes go, where our desires are. He says, if your eyes are unhealthy, then the whole rest of your body will be full of darkness. That's Matthew 6, 23. So if you desire bad things, then the rest of you is going to be bad as well. So the question we can ask, hey, what are my eyes set on? What am I looking to? What are our eyes set on? When, I don't know if many of you are uh, winter ski type people. One of the things that they teach you when you ski is wherever you look, that's where you're going to go. Right? You're supposed to look. And so the, the hard part is when you see an obstacle, your eyes are drawn to that thing. Right? Have you ever had the experience of skiing and you're like, I don't want to hit that person. That person right there that I'm hitting, ah, and you head right toward them, right? That's exactly what happens. So what they try to teach you is you should turn your head the direction that you want to go. And I think that that's what we need to do. We need to set our eyes in the direction we want to go, not in the direction of the thing that we're afraid of or whatever that might be. We feel restless and unsettled sometimes because we are too driven by our ambition. We've set our eyes on things that we shouldn't. But humility stills our souls. It quiets us because we aren't pushing to get ahead. We're not trying to push somebody else down. I think, when I think about this, I think about a passing comment by the apostle John. He says about this guy named Diotrephes. I don't think I made a slide for this. This is in um, 3 John 1.9. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. What a slam. It'd be so terrible. Diotrephes, that guy who loves to be first. It's super scathing something about a person. Diotrephes has got his name in the Bible. Great, uh, but not for a great way. He loves to be first. Uh, That was the thing that he desired. His eyes were set on that thing. Uh, We can say pretty safely that Diotrephes was a guy whose eyes were set too high. The, The question could be, could the same thing be said about us? He loves to be first. She loves to be first. But if you want to have a calm and quiet soul, you're going to need to go down. You have to be humble. You, have to, you can be great, but be great through servanthood. And it isn't always because we are first. Maybe we just want to be. Sometimes it can be just our desire for that thing. We can, we can want other people's attention. We want people's approval. But wanting their attention and approval is one of the things that just needs to get hushed if we're going to actually have a calm and quiet soul. To hush and quiet our souls. We need to have our eyes not be too high. And and, and I think we need to think about what occupies our energy too. We need to be humble. Because he says, I have not occupied myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me. And writer Eugene Peterson, he frames this in a way, he says, this is, this is accepting the terms of our creation. I think that's really, really great. We are human. We have human limitations. We're born in a specific time, a specific moment in history. 
that we have specific gifts, we have specific weaknesses, we have human weaknesses. You can't stay awake for days on end. You need sleep. You need to eat. One person who embraced the terms of his creation was George Washington Carver, uh, the scientist who d- developed a bunch of useful products from the peanut. You remember that guy? So he is quoted as saying this. He said, when I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And so he told me. (laughs) I like that. The universe or just a peanut. I like it. So like George Washington Carver, we can fully use and develop the gifts that we have, but we do recognize, hey, there are limits. We're not going to know and do everything. Um, Maybe you have never sought to completely understand the universe, but maybe instead, uh, like me, you kind of sometimes reject the terms of your humanity, of your uh, being a person. You try to control outcomes. You want to try to control other people. But that's not my charge. That's not what you're supposed to, that's not your job either. That's for God alone. That's not your size. Working on our own hearts, that's more nearly our size. When we say we aren't occupying ourselves with things too great and marvelous for us, we, we acknowledge that, hey, we're not going to be the ones who are going to solve all of life's problems. Frankly, we don't generally tend to solve all of our own problems. Let's be real. It is, this can be very liberating. Because one of the ways that we wear ourselves out is trying to fix everything. We, we're trying to fix our situation. We're trying to fix somebody else's situation. We're trying to carry the weight of making sure that things turn out okay. But it's liberating to realize, I'm not God. And I can quiet my soul. I can let God be occupied with those things, and I don't need to occupy myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me, things that are completely outside of my control. We occupy ourselves instead like, by saying, God, what have you given me to do today? And to do that thing. All right, so that's the humility part coming down. The second part is to lift up. This, the scissor that comes up is this worship. So, it's hard for us to just say, hey, I'm going to stop. You know, I'm going to stop worrying about all those things. I'm going to stop being too ambitious. I'm going to stop giving up. I'm going, to, uh, be, I'm going to be more content starting right now. We can do that, but you can't just force yourself to do it. Those, our love of, of ambition, our love of being recognized, the only way that that can be vanquished is by finding a greater love. It can only be killed or vanquished by a greater love. So our love for our reputation can only be vanquished by the love of God, to be engrossed by a greater love. So our anxieties as we face the trials of life, they can only be cut out if we bring up the other side, the arm of the scissors that is the worship of God. Verse 3 says this, O Israel, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Do it from starting now until forever. Start now. So we hope in the Lord forevermore. I'm going to do this thing. 
So this calm and quiet of soul, they don't hang on a, it's not a personality. It's not by a certain disposition. What it does hang on is God's own person. God's own self. God's reputation. We aren't just seeking to be more spiritual by doing this, but we're saying this God who has operated in history, who has done things in the past like we just sang about, this is the one who I'm going to trust. In your Bible, in verse 3, when it says the Lord, it might have that all in caps. If you know, if you see that there, it's in, it's in small caps. Uh, if it's there, it's because in the Bible, in the actual text in Hebrew, is actually written Y-H-W-H. It is the, the personal name of God that is there. It was revealed to Moses, and out of a profound respect for God and a desire not to use his name flippantly when reading the Hebrew text, people will actually say, when they see that word, they say Lord when they say it. You say Adonai. You don't say the, the word you, when you come across that name. And that personal God has history with his people. And the culmination of all of that history throughout the Old Testament was when the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And nobody in history has had a, a less troubled soul than Jesus Christ. Nor has anyone borne so many burdens. But he acted as somebody without anxiety. He was, he was a peaceful mountain lake in a storm. That's why Jesus is so compelling. He's our, he's our real pattern for us to be cut to. Jesus is amazing. He, he deserved total reverence, but nobody was as humble as he was. He was a sinless person who died a sinner's death in our place. And so his life and death and resurrection give us real hope because we see in him, we see the depth of God's love for his children. Not only did not, God not give up on us, but we are people who are known. We've been forgiven through what Christ did for us. Christ knows us and loves us. So you can be as bold as you like as you come to God because you know that, that, that there's nothing that could be revealed about you or uncovered about who you are that God doesn't already know and that God hasn't forgiven. It can be covered by the cross. He's given you a new identity. He's put his spirit in you. And he pushes us to desire right things and even have the power and the energy to act in right ways, to face things with courage. And so we worship this God who has spoken forgiveness over us and given us the power to live this life, to draw us in to his embrace. And he has welcomed us unconditionally. And God, because of that, is the true hero of the story and it, it calls us to worship so we can we can make a lot about who god is we can sing about how great god is because he is the hero he's the one who is worthy of our trust because he won he's victorious he accomplished marvelous things and we want to worship him from this point on and forevermore so if you're somebody who wants to leave behind some of your anxiety some of it is going to start by not focusing on our anxiety itself. It's going to be turning to God, to turn our eyes and look at Christ instead and to worship him.
All right, how are we going to do this in everyday life? Uh, this week, when you feel that your soul is troubled, if you're anxious, if you feel that upheaval coming, uh, churning in your mind, if you face an embarrassment, you're facing a crisis, you're just thinking about all the stuff that needs to be done, I want us to think about being still. To be calm in the midst of the storm, because that's the right pattern of life. But to do that, we're going to need a scissors. We need one side to come down. We need to be humble enough to say, hey, it's not all about me. I need to admit my fault and check myself, to, to take myself out of the role of being the hero of the story and make that to be God. And the other side is going to come up. We need to, to put our hope in God, the one who acted in history, to put him back in his place as the one who should be lifted up and remember that. So here's the concrete step that I want us to take this week. I, I think it's, it's crazy simple. This is what I want us to do. What I want you to do is to share with someone else something that is causing you anxiety and purposely ask that person to pray for you, maybe in that moment. Ask them to pray for you. I think that this hits both things. It hits humility and worship in the same point. Because if you're being humble by saying, I have something that's causing me anxiety. This is not, I'm not 100% okay. And yet, we're also asking for prayer, and that elevates God. God, you are the one who can do something about this. So we enter into worship. So we're checking our ego, and we're raising God in worship. And I hope that that is going to cut away some of the restlessness of our souls. I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with his mother. So I want you to imagine the Christmas season right now that we're entering into what it could look like if you went into it with a calmness of soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I think if we have calm souls, instead of being consumed by our busyness or our worries, we're going to be able to be a bit more attentive. Attentive to other people, to be able to hear what's going on for them, and attentive too to God's own voice speaking to us in this season. May it be so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Psalm 131. And we pray that we will think about this this week. May your word penetrate our souls. That we can be people who are humble and worshipful. And that will make us more reliant on you. Make, make us to be people who want our souls to be quiet and calm because we're in your presence. We recognize that you are with us. May you be elevated by that. And it, not just that we, we walk around saying we're so victorious, but we say, God is the one who changes me. May it be so, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.